We've been talking about um, spiritual warfare, and we've been looking at it really from a different perspective from what is typically taught in most seminars, churches, so on and so forth. And quite frankly, what we've been learning is that you don't need to have as much teaching about spiritual warfare as what there's been in the body of Christ all these years. All you have to do, really, just read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and the Acts and just see how Jesus and the apostles did it. It's that simple. If you take it beyond that, man, I don't know, you're going to end up hearing some weird doctrine. Because as we study the, uh, the four Gospels, we see Jesus ministering in, uh, in really unique ways. And sometimes the people he encountered who had a physical affliction, well, there was a demon involved. And he would cast that demon out, the person would be healed. Other times, he ministered to people, they were healed, but there's no mention of a demon whatsoever. There were times when he um, encountered demons, had nothing to do with sickness or injury or anything. It was just, you know, demons were acting up. Then there were times where people were just, they're just wrong, just messed up. And Jesus never even tried to cast demons out of them. If, you know, you'd think that some of those religious leaders had demons the way they acted. But he never tried to cast a demon out of them. Now, if they'd have had demons, he would have cast the demons out. So it's almost like those guys were so messed up, the demons figured they don't need us. <laughs> those guys are doing our job for us. Well, when Jesus was uh, ministering and with the, uh, with the apostles, nowhere did he tell them, you guys need to go to some kind of a seminar to learn how to cast out devils and to learn how to discern demons. And then the apostles, when they you get into the book of Acts and so forth and read the writings in uh, you know Romans and Galatians and 1 Peter, I mean, just all the rest of the New Testament, you don't see where the apostles were telling people, you need to go someplace and learn how to cast out devils. You need to learn how to identify devils. You don't see that. In fact, if you really pay attention to what you see in the New Testament, it's almost like demons are not that big of a deal. We're the ones in the church today, we've made them a big deal. The, the two, uh, well, the primary themes in the New Testament are, as far as Christians are concerned, Get the sin out of your life and get your doctrine straightened up. When you go through the New Testament, that's what you see. You don't see an emphasis on demonology or uh, uh, spiritual awareness. You, know, think, you don't see that in there. And then it brings up the question, you know, I brought this up last night. Is, well, how in the world did Jesus know? How did he know the difference between, well, this person's sick because of a demon and this person's sick, but there is no demon? How did he know? How did he know that some people had devils and other people didn't? Now, granted, when, when some of those folks begin acting weird, okay, it's no-brainer, all right? We know who you are, Jesus. Ha-ha, <laughs> devil, cast him out. So... He had this this ability to understand the difference. Well, today, you have uh, people conducting seminars, writing books, um, selling their stuff, their teaching about um, discernment, how to discern devils. And what's interesting and I don't know how many of you have ever heard teachings along these lines or been in any of those seminars, but a lot of those discernment seminars are more about using human senses rather than divine revelation. In other words, your observation. Well, somebody that's acting like that, they've got a devil. Well, we found out last night that it's possible to have a mental illness and it's not a demon. 
though a lot of Christians would argue that, but it's possible. And so likewise, when these seminars are being taught, it, it's so interesting. They say things like, you know, you've got to avoid all this devil stuff. You know, don't you get a Ouija board. If you got one, get rid of it. Don't you be watching Snow White. Don't you be watching Cinderella. Don't you watch Harry Potter. Don't you watch uh, that thing with the, uh, the Beauty and the Beast. Don't you be watching that. Don't you be watching Star Wars. Don't you be, you know, and, <laughs> but that's what they say. They'll tell you things like that. And, you know, if you watch any of those, I understand. There's witchcraft, or there are spells, or there are demons. You know, a lot of these occult movies and so forth. You know, that stuff is in there. And so somebody stands up and says, folks, you, you can't be watching that stuff. Those things are full of witchcraft, full of the occult, full of demons, full of all. And, and the thing is, yeah. And what I'm getting at is, that's obvious. When I watch, when I watch Star Trek, and it's over, I don't feel like I can go to the grocery store and try to do a Vulcan mind meld on somebody because I know it's not real. I, if I watch Star Wars, I don't feel like I can go down to Walmart and stand you know, 20 feet away from somebody and say, I find your lack of faith disturbing and squish their throat. I know I can't do that. I know that I can't Put a spell on an apple and somebody eat it and and turn into a some some kind of wildebeest or whatever. I can't do. I know that stuff's not of God. I know it. It's obvious. Why are you warning me about the obvious? You see what I'm getting at? Here's the problem. Those things are blatantly obvious. What's going on? However, what about the movies or the TV shows that have a sprinkling of four-letter words, um, unmarried couples that are physically involved, living together, one-night stand, um, same-gender couples, partial nudity? What about that? I remember one time... Kathy and I were watching this movie and everything seemed to be going okay. Then all of a sudden there's this scene where the lead male character and the lead female character are totally nude. Now, they were covering up, okay? But they were, I mean, you could, they had their backsides. <laughs> but they were totally nude. I'm like, where is this coming from? This isn't necessary in this movie at all. What the... What? And just boom, there it was. I remember one time I was watching a movie that I thought was going to be okay. And it was maybe, maybe five minutes into it. And then it was an F parade. I mean, boom, 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 boom. It's like, what? Where's the remote? Where's <laughs> this kind of... That, those kind of things can happen, and they shouldn't, but sometimes those things can happen when you don't expect them. However, there are a lot of shows on TV, people just watch them, Christians, they just watch them. And it has that stuff, the sprinkling of the four-letter words, maybe not the F-bomb, but other four-letter words. And then the, uh, you know, the unmarried couples, uh, the same gender couples, and so forth. And here's the crazy thing about it. You'll have Christians that'll stand up and say, you better not watch those sorcery movies. Oh, God help you if you got Harry Potter in your home. And then they'll sit in front of TV and watch this stuff. Yeah, but they're not married. Watch, well, it's, it's just TV. No. And see, the thing is, here's what. All right, here's the challenge. All that stuff. The, the, the unmarried couples, even if they don't show them doing the nasty, but you know 
I mean, you know, the next scene is they're waking up in bed. Right? Doesn't show anything, but they're just waking up. Oh, good morning. Oh, good morning. Have you in that gross? It's amazing on these TV shows where they wake up in the morning and they're kissing like crazy, and it's like seriously, nobody does that. You know, you got elephant breath. Give me a break. <laughs> And you know they got B.O. and everything. They haven't had a shower yet. <laughs> but, you know, you watch this stuff. That stuff is more dangerous than Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, Snow White, and all that other. You say, well, how do you figure that's so uh, more dangerous? Because it's so subtle. It begins to numb our senses to the voice of God. You say, well, I don't believe that. You just proved my point. Listen, Psalm 101, verse 3, I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. I hate the work of them that turn aside. It shall not cleave to me. I've seen TV shows, movies, where uh, like one of the actors professes to be a staunch Christian and they're doing something that's like, I don't think so. There's one actor, I don't remember his name, uh, you've probably seen him. He is, from what I understand, he is an extremely devout Catholic, but he he, he refuses to take a part in a movie where where he's supposed to kiss another woman. He won't do it. He's married. He's, I'm not doing that. My lips will touch my wife's and that's it. It has cost him roles. But you know what? I admire that guy. In fact, what movies I've seen him in, as I stand here, I don't recall him using a four-letter words. I mean, this guy, he's a good actor, but you're not going to see him doing the stuff that other people do. And, and Christians don't seem to have a problem with that. Well, I know they were in bed, but, you know, I mean, they were clothed. It didn't show anything. Yeah, it did. It showed two people who aren't married in bed, and you know what was going on. Well, see, you've got Christians that want to hammer you like crazy for the witchcraft movies. But that other stuff... It opens a door for demonic activity in the life of a believer. Well, I don't believe that. All right. Well, why are you watching it? Well, because it's interesting. Okay. Turn it off. Find something. Go find a good John Wayne movie. You know, there are a lot of really good movies out there. And I'm not going off on a tangent here, but what I'm saying is there is a double standard generally speaking, in the body of Christ, to where we want to jump on the obvious, but the subtle, we don't want to deal with it. We don't want to talk about it. You know, you can yell at me for watching Snow White, and I know there's not going to be any nudity. I know there's not going to be any stuff. You know, yeah, we got seven drawers, (laughs) but... I can watch that and walk away from it and and not believe in what I just watched. Because now I know I know there's Christians out there, guys. Listen, I'm not endorsing anything. What I'm trying to do is point out: if you're going to say the one is wrong, you bless God, better live like the other is wrong too. Because the other is far more subtle than the blatant of the other. Now. When it comes to this whole whole aspect of discernment, you know, how did Jesus know? How could he tell? Because sick people look sick, but how did he know? Well, here's how he knew. Because he was like this with the Father. That's how he knew. Now, what happens with us? I don't need to go to a bunch of seminars that are going to tell me that There's stuff that goes on during Halloween that isn't of God. I know that. I don't need to go to a seminar that tells me I shouldn't be involved with seances. Okay, I know that. 
I, sh- I don't need to go to a seminar and hear a bunch of the obvious stuff. What I need to do is find out what does God say. And when it comes to, the, uh, to, the, to me being able to discern, there's one thing that's going to work, guaranteed. Prayer, fasting, worship, and the Word. Yes. Pressing into God and conforming to the fullness of the image of the glory of Christ, I become so spiritually sensitive that when I encounter a demon... I know it's a demon. I don't have to wonder, okay, now this sickness. Okay, come out, you cancer devil. Well, not all cancer's a devil. You know, you take somebody who smoked for 40 years, and then they stopped smoking five years ago, but then they develop lung cancer. Now, you've you got to understand, they sowed the seeds for that lung cancer for 40 years. So don't be trying to cast out a devil, although granted... Demons can impact people on the physical level. But then it goes back to the ability to discern. And that's where we have to keep pressing into God because the more we press into God, we don't need those seminars because our spiritual sensitivity and our ability to hear the Holy Spirit tell us what's going on, that's the discernment. My seminar is in the prayer closet. That's right. My seminar is in my worship. You see what I'm getting at? That's what we need to focus on. And we get that spiritual development. Um, turn over to Second Corinthians chapter 12. We are believing for revival. We're believing for an outpouring. And along with that is the result. Well, what is the result of outpouring and revival? Well, first off, it's our spiritual development. Outpouring and revival starts in us and then collectively as a congregation, and then we begin impacting our community in a greater way. Well, uh, I remember many years ago, you know, I, I, I wanted to have a big church. And I'm praying, you know, ah, big church. And uh, anyway, long story short, God began dealing with me about that. And he said, I didn't call you to build a church. I called you to build people to build my kingdom and to teach those who will receive it. That's it. I do my part and leave the rest up to him. I cannot focus on trying to build my church. I don't need to go to a church growth seminar. My church growth seminar is the prayer closet. It's my worship. You get this? I don't need to be doing all that stuff. I don't need the programs. I don't need the the uh, used school buses. I don't need all of that. What I need is to keep pressing into God and doing what He's called me to do, and He'll show me what step to take when it comes to take a step, and, and so on and so forth. In um, in Second Corinthians chapter twelve, in verse one, Paul writes. It's not expedient for me, doubtless to glory, or in other words, it's it's not expedient for me, you know, to brag. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I knew a man in Christ about fourteen years ago, whether in the body I cannot tell, or whether out of the body I cannot tell. God knoweth. So now he's talking about himself here, okay? Such an one caught up to the third heaven and I knew such a man whether in the body or out of the body I cannot tell God knoweth how that he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words which is not lawful for a man to utter of such a one will I glory yet not of myself I will not glory but in mine infirmities for though I would desire to glory I shall not be a fool for I will say the truth but now I forbear lest any man should think of me above that which he seeth me to be or that which or that he heareth of me and lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelation now see that right there lets us know that the first 6 verses he's talking about himself And he says, And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan, to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. What's he talking about here? Well, for one thing, there are a lot of people out there that will say, uh, you know, Paul's thorn in the flesh, well, it was some sort of an eye infection. Or it was some other kind of body, whatever thing. 
It, he tells you what it is. The messenger of Satan. I don't know how much more clear it has to be. Well, anyway, he says, there was given to me a messenger of Satan to buffet me. The word buffet me, um, it means to try and stop me. Do everything possible to try and stop me. Why? Why did Satan want Paul to be stopped? Because of the abundance of the revelations. What revelations? You're reading it. This. Everything Paul wrote in the New Testament. These are the revelations. Okay, well, what are those revelations? Those are kingdom revelations. In other words, remember what Jesus said to the apostles. He said, fellas, I've got a whole lot more that I want to teach you, but right now you can't handle it. However, when the Holy Spirit comes, He's going to pick up where I left off. He'll teach you all things, guide you into all truth, and put you in remembrance of everything that I've taught you. So what we see here is the Apostle Paul receiving teaching, and this teaching is what we would call how to live in the kingdom teaching. So, Here's Paul receiving these revelations and Satan knows I have to stop this guy because if these teachings get out and people hear them, receive them, and apply them, they will be able to stop me. So I've got to do what I can to stop him from teaching this stuff. Well, it didn't work. Paul was not stopped and he taught. And he, he put these things in writing. And now we have them and glory to God for it. Well, the whole aspect of these um, this kingdom truth, the same thing is true today. When we teach kingdom truth, people who hear it, receive it, and apply it, they're going to walk in victory. They're going to walk in victory in every area of their life. Now granted, we know Satan, he'll do what he can to stop, but... He couldn't stop Jesus. He couldn't stop Paul. Guys, he can't stop us. Not when we're walking in what is, is, has been given to us here in the Word of God. So then, revival is in part a matter of delivering kingdom truth. So now we deliver kingdom truth to people. Obviously, it starts with you must be born again, and here's why. You were born in a spiritual condition. Not your fault, but yet God has the answer for you. And this can change. So, and then it goes beyond that. Fill with the Holy Spirit and and just the sum total of what's in Scripture. But here's the thing, guys. We can't teach what we don't know. So therefore, we're going to have to do what we can to press into the fullness of kingdom truth. And that requires a lot of work on our part. Now, I want to show you something in the Old Testament that God showed me. That's, uh, it, it's like an example to us concerning what we're doing and where we're headed. Now, turn over to Isaiah 44. We'll stop there. We'll start there. Isaiah 44. Now, here in Isaiah chapter 44... Take a look. Uh, just begin in verse... Um, well, let's go to verse 1. Yet hear now, O Jacob, my servant, and Israel, whom I have chosen. Now God is prophesying. He says, Thus saith the Lord that made thee and formed thee from the womb, which will help thee. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, and thou, Jeshurun, whom I have chosen. For I will pour water upon him that is thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon thy seed and my blessing upon thine offspring. Now jump. He continues prophesying here in this. Jump all the way to verse 28. And God is still prophesying. He's still speaking. And God says, That saith of Cyrus, He is my shepherd and shall perform all my pleasure, even saying to Jerusalem, Thou shalt be built and to the temple thy foundation shall be laid. Now this is really interesting because this prophecy was declared 150 years before Cyrus was even born. 
And this to me is one of the most profound prophecies in all of Scripture because God is identifying a future pagan king by name. And God says, This pagan king will declare to Jerusalem, Thou shalt be built. And he will declare to the temple, Thy foundation shall be laid. Now turn back over to Ezra chapter 1. Now what's happened is this, by the time we get to Ezra, Israel has been taken captive. They've uh, been in the Babylonian captivity for about 70 years. Jeremiah had prophesied they would be released. Now, in Ezra, what we're seeing is the beginning of the release of the Jewish people after 70 years. So we pick this up in Ezra chapter 1, verse 1. Now, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and put it also in writing, saying, Thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia, The Lord God of heaven hath given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he hath charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Who is there among you of all his people? His God be with him, and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord God of Israel. He is the God, which is in Jerusalem. And whosoever remaineth in any place where he sojourneth, let the men of his place help him with silver, and with gold, and with goods, and with beasts, beside the free will offering for the house of God that is in Jerusalem." Then rose up the chief of the fathers of Judah and Benjamin and the priest of the Levites with all them whose spirit God had raised up to go up to build the house of the Lord which is in Jerusalem. And all they that were about them strengthened their hands with vessels of silver, with gold, with goods and with beasts and with precious things beside all that was willingly offered. Also, Cyrus the king brought forth the vessels of the house of the Lord, which Nebuchadnezzar had brought forth out of Jerusalem, and had put them in the house of his gods. Even those did Cyrus, king of Persia, bring forth by the hand of Mithridath the treasurer, and numbered them unto Shesbazar the prince of Judah. And this is the number of them, thirty charges of, chargers of gold, a thousand chargers of silver, nine and twenty knives. 30 basins of gold, silver basins of a second sort, 410, and other vessels, a thousand. And all the vessels of gold and of silver were 5,400. All these did Sheshbazar bring up with them of the captivity that were brought up from Babylon unto Jerusalem. Now, these are the children of the province that went up out of the captivity of those which had been carried away, whom Nebuchadnezzar the king of Babylon had carried away unto Babylon, and came again unto Jerusalem and Judah, everyone unto his city. And then it begins talking about, and you know, this family and that family, and it goes on and on, lists all these people. But now what we're seeing is the fulfillment of what was prophesied by Isaiah, Cyrus making this proclamation. And in essence, what he's saying is, okay, all you Jews, guess what? You get to go home if you want to. And I want you to rebuild your city, but I also want you to rebuild that temple. And he made sure that they had all the gold and silver and, and all the precious things that had been taken originally by Nebuchadnezzar. He said, you guys take all this stuff. Take it with you. Go back. Rebuild that city. Build that temple. Well, now you know these people were quite happy about all that. But now we jump over, uh, staying here in Ezra, jump over to chapter 3 and begin reading in verse 1. And when the seventh month was come and the children of Israel were in the cities, the people gathered themselves together as one man to Jerusalem. Then stood up Jeshua, the son of Jozadak, and his brethren, the priests, and um, Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and his brethren, and builded the altar of the God of Israel to offer burnt offerings thereon, as it is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. And they set the altar upon his bases, for fear was upon them because of the people of whose countries, and they offered burnt offerings thereon unto the Lord, even burnt offerings morning and evening, 
They kept also the Feast of Tabernacles, as it is written, and offered the daily burnt offerings by number according to the custom, as the duty of every day required, and afterward offered the continual burnt offering, both of the new moons and of all the set feasts of the Lord that were consecrated, and every one that willingly offered a freewill offering unto the Lord. From the first day of the seventh month began they to offer burnt offerings unto the Lord. But the foundation of the temple of the Lord was not yet laid. So, stop right there for a moment. They're doing all of this, but the temple has not yet been rebuilt. He says right here, the foundation hadn't even been laid. But they're doing all this in preparation to lay the foundation. Well, verse 7, they gave money also unto the masons and to the carpenters, and, and meat and drink and oil unto them of Zidon and to them of Tyre to bring cedar trees from Lebanon to the sea of Joppa according to the grant that they had of Cyrus king of Persia. Now, in the second year of their coming unto the house of God at Jerusalem, in the second month began Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, the son of Jozadak, and the remnant of their brethren, the priests and the Levites, and all they that were come out of the captivity unto Jerusalem, and appointed the Levites from twenty years old and upward to set forth the work of the house of the Lord. In other words, they said, Okay, guys, it's time to start construction. Well, verse 9, Then stood Jeshua with his sons and his brethren, Cadmiel and his sons, the sons of Judah, together to set forward the workmen in the house of God, the sons of Henadad with their sons and their brethren, the Levites. And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, they set the priests in their apparel with trumpets and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals to praise the Lord after the ordinance of David, king of Israel. And they sang together by course in praising and giving thanks unto the Lord because he is good for his mercy endureth forever toward Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the priests and Levites and chief of the fathers who were ancient men that had seen the first house when the foundation of this house was laid before their eyes, wept with a loud voice, and many shouted aloud for joy, so that the people could not discern the noise of the shout of joy from the noise of the weeping of the people, for the people shouted with a loud shout, and the noise was heard afar off. So here's what's happened. You have all these Jews that have been released, and they come back, the city is devastated, and the temple is just completely wiped out, torn down. But they have a commission to rebuild. So they're there for a while and they're offering sacrifices and so on. And then the day comes where they start to work, to build the foundation. So a lot of time passes in what we've just read. But to get to work really hard and they, they get the foundation laid. And when they get the foundation laid, this praise festival breaks out. And the people are shouting and glory, hallelujah, Praise you, Jesus. And they're singing songs and worshiping God. But then there were older people there who had seen the original temple before it was torn down. And as they're looking at this, and all they see is a foundation, but they begin to cry and they begin to weep. The reason for that was because they had within them the vision of the temple that was going to be built. But all they had at that point was the foundation. That was it. Nothing more but the foundation. But those people, they could see what was coming on that foundation. And they knew it's, it's, it's going to be here. Just like we've heard before. But not only them. All the people over the past 70 years. When they would tell the, the younger folks, let me tell you about the temple. Let me tell you what happened in the temple. Let me tell you about the beauty of the temple. And they would describe it and they would pass these stories on. So when they get back to Jerusalem and there's the foundation, you know that others who hadn't been alive, you know, over 70 years ago to see the original temple, but they're thinking about the stories that they had heard from the folks who had been there, from the folks who had experienced it, from the folks who had done it. They're hearing these stories and they're, in their minds, they're like, 
I never saw the original, but we got a foundation, and these guys are telling me what it looked like. And uh, man, I can just imagine, yeah, we're, we're going to have something great and glorious. So people were, were rejoicing because the foundation was laid. There was no temple, but the foundation was laid. Now get this, they're praising God like it was built, like it was done, like it's over. We've got it, we've got it, we've got it. Here's the foundation. However, look at chapter 4. Now when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that the children of the captivity builded the temple unto the Lord God of Israel, now the temple wasn't built yet. Okay, we've got the foundation. It's not, it's not a complete project. Well, the adversaries, verse 2, they went to Zerubbabel and to the chief of the fathers and said unto them, Let us build with you, for we seek your God as ye do. And we do sacrifice unto him since the days of Asar Hadon, king of Asher, which brought us up hither. But Zerubbabel and Jeshua and the rest of the chief of the fathers of Israel said unto them, Ye have nothing to do with us to build a house unto our God. But we ourselves together will build unto the Lord God of Israel as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, hath commanded us. Then the people of the land, in other words, the adversaries, weakened the hands of the people of Judah and troubled them in building and hired counselors against them to frustrate their purpose all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, even until the reign of Darius, king of Persia. And in the reign of Ahasuerus, in the beginning of his reign, wrote they unto him an accusation against the inhabitants of Judah and Jerusalem, and in the days of Artaxerxes wrote Bishlam, Mithridath, Tabil, and the rest of their companions, the adversaries, unto Artaxerxes, king of Persia. And the writing of the letter was written in the Syrian tongue and interpreted in the Syrian tongue. Rehum the chancellor and Shimshai the scribe wrote a letter against Jerusalem to Artaxerxes, the king, in this sort. And then it begins to tell us what was written. So here's what's happened. The adversaries, they see that the foundation's been laid and they realize what's coming, the temple. So the first thing they do is they come in and they say, hey, we like you people. We want to help you. We want to be a part of what you're doing. They had nothing to do with God, but they lied. And they said, we want to help you build this temple. Why, we worship God too. Well, then you had these guys, Zerubbabel and Jeshua. They just looked at them. Great discernment. And they said, you have nothing to do with building this thing. This is our God. This is our foundation. This is our temple we're going to build. And you guys have no part in it. In other words... They refused the voice of compromise to enter into their midst to bring a me- that would have just completely devastated what they were doing. The people would have ended up divided. Well, that made the adversaries mad. So they figured, you know what? These guys are a bunch of jerks. So what can we do to stop them? Ah, I know. Let's accuse them of things that aren't true. And let's write letters unto the government officials to get legislation passed that will stop what they're doing. Does any of this sound familiar at all? (laughs) And so they wrote this letter to uh, uh, Artaxerxes. And it goes through and it tells you, you know, what he did. In fact, you pick it up in verse 23 and it says, and when the copy, King Artaxerxes wrote a letter in response to this, I mean, he only went by what he was told. He didn't do anything to find out if this was true. Well, Artaxerxes wrote a letter and it says, when the copy of King Artaxerxes' letter was read before Rehum and Shimshai the scribe and their companions, they went up in haste to Jerusalem under the Jews and made them cease by force and power. In other words, they took the military, the police or whatever with them to shut down what they were doing. In other words, you can't worship God anymore. You can't have your temple. Well, verse 24, 
Then ceased the work of the house of God, which is at Jerusalem. So it ceased under the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. Now, jump over to chapter 6. Then Darius, the king, made a decree. And a search was made in the house of the rolls where the treasures were laid up in Babylon. Now, what had happened was this. Darius had, somebody had gotten message to Darius that, you know what, the Jews really were supposed to be building this thing. And he said, really? All right, why don't you go into the archives and find the writings that could be related to this? And so that's what they did. Well, there was found at Akmetha in the palace that is in the province of the Medes a roll, and therein was a record thus written. And what they found was the original decree that Cyrus had set forth giving the Jews permission to go back to Jerusalem, rebuild the city, and rebuild the temple. Well, when Darius saw this, he said, just jump to verse 7. He said, Let the work of this house of God alone. Let the governor of the Jews and the elders of the Jews build this house of God in his place. Moreover, I make a decree what ye shall do to the elders of these Jews for the building of the house of God, that the king's goods, even of the tribute beyond the river, forthwith expenses be given unto these men, that they be not hindered. In other words, he said, oh, okay, they're supposed to be doing this? Not a problem. He, he issued an executive order that said, you let these guys rebuild this temple and rebuild this city. And not only that, we're giving them money to help them finish this project. Right. Now, here's what's interesting. It was 16 years between the time that the construction of the temple stopped and started again. 16 years. So now, here you have these Jews. They're back in Jerusalem. And they're walking around every day and they're looking at the foundation weeds growing up and, and I, I'm sure they went you know pulling up weeds or whatever but you know stop it's like man we were in captivity for 70 stinking years we get released and legally we're supposed to be allowed to do this but then now a bunch of people lied about us wrote lying letters they they used social media to spread rumors about us that weren't true and then we get forced to stop man it's been five years what will we ever be able to start building again and during that 16 years you know some people died and they died never seeing the project continued well how frustrating was that the foundation is here there it is the fact we can see the foundation but we can't do anything about it our construction has been stopped because of an attack of the enemy. But they didn't stop. Now, I can tell you what happened. Even though I wasn't there and Scripture is not real heavy on this, I can tell you what went on. Those people were going before God praying. Every day, you had people praying. Oh, God, please, you let us. We got set free after 70 years. We repented. We've been offering sacrifices. We've done everything we know to do. Oh God, please work it out so we can finish this temple for you. So we can establish this. And, and, and we can do what it is that you want us to do. I know they were praying. I know they were. And then, after 16 years, finally, here comes a messenger. And he says, I have a decree. The king says, You, by executive order of Darius, are allowed to build. And not only that, I have wagons full of money and supplies to help you out. Hallelujah. Build that temple, fellas. Pick it up and build that temple. And so they did, glory to God. They, In fact, what happened is this. Um, if you go back and read this, they went into, um, everybody started working overtime. And I think it was, if I remember correctly, it was... Um, like maybe maybe six years from the time they got message, pick it up and keep going from this point where they had it done. I mean, these people busted their chops. Let's hurry and get it built just in case somebody... <laughs> you see what I'm getting at? Now, 
It was four years later. After they got, it was four years later after they got the decree, you can continue to build. So man, those guys, I mean, you know, they put the pedal to the metal. Now here's what I'm getting at. Those people had a foundation and they began rejoicing and praising God like the temple was built. What have we been doing over the last, what, maybe 20 years? We have been establishing a foundation of truth that will support the temple of revival. The foundation, listen, the foundation is laid. Now we're continuing to learn. We know that. We're continuing to learn more and more and praise God for it. But the, the very essence of the foundation, it's been laid. And now we've got a responsibility to be building upon that foundation, get that temple built, the temple that's going to house the outpouring, that temple of revival. That's what we're supposed to be doing. The problem is we've got an adversary who doesn't like this. And as soon, really, as soon as we started building the foundation, stuff starts happening. Um, Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think at one time, Pastor Bronk, you said this church was running about 150 people. But yeah, way way back when the foundation began, and then what happened? Well, look around. Where are they? The the foundation has continued to be built, but you had a lot of people who gave in to the voice of the adversary, and they're gone. And now, not everybody. I mean, some of them, you know, they may have moved away. I understand that. But there's no way you can be running 150 people, then all of a sudden, down to uh, you know the number that you're running here, and none of those people have, were impacted by the voice of the adversary. No, no, I know better. Same kind of things happen at our church. People come in, they're there, and it's, then you know, well, where'd you go? What's going on here? There, there are times I've been up ministering and Pastor Bronk, I know you've been through the same thing. You're teaching truth. I mean, you're breaking down the Word of God. You're showing it. And there's somebody out there, they've got their, that look in their, uh, in their face. It's like, there ain't no way you know what you're talking about. Yeah. And that's pretty much the last time you see them. I've been there. <laughs> the foundation's been laid. The, the, those people, when they saw the foundation, they had incredible excitement. Because all they saw was a foundation. But on the inside of them, they had the vision of the completed temple. And that's what we have to do here. And at Grace Christian Center, the foundation is laid, but we've got to capture the vision of the finished temple that's going to house the glory of God and revival and this outpouring. We, every single one of us a part of this church, we have to capture that vision. We have to see it. Hallelujah. And there, there are two aspects of capturing this vision. One is natural and the other is spiritual. Now, as far as the natural is concerned, think of it like this. We're, you're here believing for people to come in. Now, let's say that this coming Sunday, five new people come in. Now, whether they were already born again or whatever, but they come in and whatever it is they need, they get it from the Lord. Then the next Sunday... Five more people come in. Well, then the next Sunday, five more people come in. And the Sunday after that, five more people come in. All right, in one month, that's 20 people. At that rate, at the end of one year, you've got 240 people, right? Now, look around. Where are you going to put 240 people? (laughs) I counted the chairs here tonight, a little over 100. Where are you going to put another 120, 130 people? Where are you going to put them? See, you have to capture the vision of your new facility. Now. You've got to capture that vision now. You can't wait until you've got people pulling into parking lot and can't find a parking spot and leave. You can't wait till people walk in the door and can't find a seat and then leave. No. We have to be ready for them now. You have to capture the vision of the new facility. Now, I don't know what that means on the inside of you. But you have to go beyond this. A facility that will seat three, four hundred people. I mean, whatever is the next step. But you have to start seeing that now. 
When you walk in here, you look around and think, you know, God, praise you. We've got such a beautiful facility and, and building. Thank you so much for everything you've done for us. But your time has come. We thank you. We speak the blessings of God over every brick. But the time has come. We have to... The cloud and the fire are moving. And we're going to have to go. Now, does that mean that you would be building here on this property? I don't know. Does it mean... One thing I can tell you, I've been around this city enough... And I've seen enough buildings to know there are a whole lot more buildings than what I've seen. And I have no doubt that right around here somewhere, there is a building. You could move in and within 30 days have it at least functional for services. I I know there is. There has to be. And you say, well, Brother Barton, where is that building? I don't know. I'm not prophesying, yeah, yeah, three miles down and half a mile right. No, I'm not doing that. What I'm saying is, there is a plan. And it is in the heart of God. And so, every one of you here, and, and Grace Christian Center, folks, it's the same thing. We have to capture the vision of the new facility and, and rejoice we see it done. Yeah. Rejoice that we have it now. That's right. no, but Brother Martin, I kind of like this building. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I mean, you know what my baby did right there? On the <laughs> you want me to leave this behind, Brother Martin? <laughs> yes, we will. <laughs> you know how many times I've used in bathrooms, Brother Martin? I can't leave now. No. You have to lay sentiment aside. That's right. And capture the vision of the new facility. Every time you pull in here, thank God for what you have. But Father, I thank you for our new facility. I thank you, Father, for the way you have blessed us so much with what we have. And I thank you for our new facility. Now, I don't know where it'll be. God does. But guys, listen. At five people a week, it's not going to be long. I mean, what are you going to do? At at two people per week. You know, pretty soon, you know, you're going to get you know, you're shoulder to shoulder and elbow to elbow. It won't take long. But isn't that what we're after? The, the people, not the numbers, the people, the souls. That's the outpouring. That's the revival. So we start now, right now, rejoicing and praising God for our new facility. Well, Brother Martin, where's the money going to come from? Good glory. Siri, please don't do that. Okay, where's the money going to come from? Here we go. About mm, seven, maybe ten minutes away from right where we are, there's this place called Ave Maria. How many have ever been there? Okay. Now, that place is unbelievable. The entire complex. Did a little research today. The person who started Ave Maria, a guy named Tom Monahan, he's the man who founded Domino's Pizza. He personally put up $250 million to get Ave Maria going. And he's still got lunch money left over. <laughs> he's got enough for some pizzas, right? <laughs> $250 million to get that put up. And along with that, in the year 2020, I don't know what the 2021 statistics are, but in 2020, 550 new houses were sold. 550 in one year. Now, that's just one year. That's not all the other years combined. And not only that, uh, uh, Ava Maria is referred to as a planned community. That's where somebody says, I'm going to build a community. And they do it. In the year... <laughs> 2015, 2016, 17, 18, 19, 20, and 21, Ava Maria was ranked the number one planned community in the entire nation. And it probably will be at the end of this year as well. Where's the money going to come from? Seriously? We were out there the other day and saw a sign. Um, houses from, what was it, like 400, from the 400s to the 700s. 
And I'm thinking, well, glory, let's get two, honey. (laughs) Where's the money going to come from? Guys, there's already enough money living in Ava Maria to build a new facility here. Here, what I mean is for this, this ministry. Now, I'm not saying that's where it's going to come from. That's just one example. But another way to look at that is this. Is it possible that God's up in heaven and He knew Ava Maria was going to be built? And He's thinking, okay, there's going to be a lot of people there in that Ava Maria complex. I think it would be good for them to be touched by an outpouring and revival. Do you realize... It's possible this is the revival center for Ava Maria. Yeah. yeah, but Brother Martin, don't you know that they're a bunch of... I know. I know what they believe out there. Yeah. So? So? Yeah. <laughs> so? Yeah. Do you understand what I'm saying? Stop looking at a Immokalee as some sort of a, a migrant farm town. No, this is a hotbed for outpouring and revival. So what if you can barely find it on the map? It's on the map, and I'll guarantee you, it's on God's map. He's known about this from before the foundation of the world. He's known it. Guys, this is a reality. This isn't some kind of crazy pipe dream. Start seeing the new facility. Start seeing it and praising God for it now. Every day, Father, I thank you for our new facility. I thank you for our new facility. Don't worry about where it is. Wherever it is, it's going to be good. <laughs> thank you, Father, for our new facility. Praise God. Praise God. Now, the other part of the vision is spiritual. You see, Jesus and the apostles, or the New Testament apostles, they're no longer here in the flesh. But, as we read the four Gospels and Acts... What we can begin to do is develop an inner vision of that revival taking place. Spiritually, the foundation has been laid. And we're still, we're still, you know, adding to the foundation. But we have to start capturing the vision when we begin to read, uh, the four gospels and we begin to read the book of Acts. We have to begin to see that that is us doing that. You say, oh yeah, oh I'm believing God's gonna use pastor. No, you! You! Okay, let me throw out a term here. Have you considered the possibility that those of you who are here, I know not everybody's here tonight, but those who call this their home church, have you considered the possibility that you are the, quote, apostles for this region? Now, I don't mean you're going to write new scripture and, and you don't have the ministry calling of apostle, but what I'm saying is, have you considered the fact You're the ones that God is going to use to disciple all these people that are coming in. Every single one of you, no exceptions. None. No exception whatsoever. This is your potential because you are in an outpouring revival church. This is what you can do. And the same thing for those at Grace Christian Center. Start seeing yourself as a part of this because you're not here by accident. And a lot of the people that have left, okay, they should be here too. But you know what? You can't go back and and fix the past. But what you can do is start looking ahead to the future and start seeing the book of Acts come to life. Start, you know, where it talks about, and and Jesus spoke to the blind man and and he received his sight. Put your name in there. And Sarah spoke to the blind man. Receive your sight. And the blind men received his sight. See this? This is supposed to be us. Because he said, the works that that I do, you shall do also. Okay, we're pressing into that place of belief to see these things happen. This is our potential. We have adversaries who are going to rise up and try to stop us. They rose up and tried to stop the Apostle Paul. But what happened? He won. (laughs) He won. And so do we, because we've got the authority over all the demonic host. We've got, just like, hey, they were delayed by 16 years. 
But they got that temple built. They got it done. Guys, here we are. Children of the creator of the universe. We've got his life and nature on the inside. Washed in the blood of his precious son. And hopefully filled with the Holy Spirit. Praying in tongues. Guys, the potential is there. We have to capture the vision of this taking place. Glory to God. Praise your name. When we come in here, we should be rejoicing. Glory to, just like those guys did, all they saw was the foundation, but they're rejoicing. Praise God! We've got it! It's ours! Hallelujah! Praise you, Jesus! Bless your name, Lord! Let that excitement rise up on the inside as though it is already done. Praise God! Please stand. Father, I pray for the prayer center of Immokalee. And Father, I thank you that every service, new people are coming in here and they are receiving from you everything they need. Born again, filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues, teaching, healings, miracles, restoration, deliverance, whatever it is they need, Father, they're coming in here and they are receiving it from you. And Father, I thank you. I thank you so much for all of the the natural skills that are represented by the people in this ministry. God, this ministry is so blessed with people who are wise and intelligent and smart and know how to do so much. But Father, when when this outpouring, this revival, it, it, it begins increasing and the people are coming in, the folks who are here, Father... It is, they can't do it alone. They need more help. So I thank you, Father, that as these, these other people are coming in, I thank you that this church has highly skilled experts in every area of ministry, in every area of computers, Father, of audio, video, streaming, singers, musicians, so that, Father, there is, there is no weariness in anybody in what they're doing, but, Father, there is a storehouse of, of ability and wisdom and intelligence that, Father, everything's gonna be done and it will be done with excellence. Excellence, Father. And I thank you that all these people are fully submitted to your authority in their lives. And I also thank you, Father. I say that every day money is coming into this ministry. I say, Father, it is coming in uh, from all over the world. It is coming in in every manner and method possible from all different types of sources. Father, there is no limit to the amounts. I thank you for the gifts of thousands. I thank you for the gifts of ten thousands. I thank you for the gifts of hundreds of thousands. And I thank you for the gifts of millions. And Father, I know some people would scoff at that. But Father, we are just a few short miles away from a place that was given $250 million to build a community that had never existed. Now, Father, if that can happen there, it can happen here. It can happen, and I say, Father, that it, it will happen and is happening. And Father, I say that there is, that I say, Father, that no demon and no plan of any demon can interfere with or stop these things from happening. Father, I say there is confusion and infighting and bickering and blindness and deafness and constant confession of defeat in these areas in every camp of the enemy. I thank you, Father, that the enemies, the demons, they talk among themselves and continually reinforce, we're beaten, we're beaten, we cannot stop this. Angels, go forth. Do warfare and create atmospheres conducive for all of these things to happen according to the direction and the plan that Almighty God gives you. And Father, I say that no demon can stop this. No plan of any demon will succeed. I say that all of these things are loosed out of the hands and the influence of every demon. And they are loosed to come in and be a manifested reality. I thank you, Father, 
that, that the victory of Jesus is known in all of these areas. Father, I thank you that, that they have their new facility and it is exactly what they need, Father, to house the outpouring, to house the revival. And is it expandable and, and that there's room for growth, Father? I thank you for this and I say, Father, in Jesus' name, continue to minister your wisdom and your guidance and your direction to Pastor Brunk. I thank you for ministering. Just like, Father, you took that, that spirit of wisdom uh, from Moses and you, and, and you ministered it to those around him helping him. I'm asking that, Father, you do the same for, to people here in this ministry, in this church. That, Father, what you've laid upon Pastor Bronk, that, Father, you would begin laying it upon more and more people in this congregation and their faithfulness would be demonstrated like never before. That they would walk in the wisdom of God like never before. Walk in the anointing of God like never before and that Father this will be a place where God's presence and God's glory is known on a continual basis Jesus this is your kingdom and all of these things are being done for your kingdom and for your glory we give you the praise the thanks and, and the worship for all of this we call it done Jesus in your precious name Amen Amen Amen, amen. Pastor Bronk <laughs>